I'll tell you this, I didn't know how else to do it. John chapter 11, talking about Lazarus and Lazarus' resurrection and how it informs our daily living. The whole premise of empty graves is this, Jesus died so that my grave can be empty. I don't live in a grave of worry, of fear, of anxiety, of toxicity, of all of the things of the world. I rise out of that grave because resurrection is an event that changes my life and informs my daily living. Don't miss that. The Apostle Paul does it beautifully over and over and over in Scripture. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He constantly relates the death, burial, and resurrection to Jesus to his daily living. That's what we're talking about when it comes to empty graves. Now, I tried so hard to figure out how to summarize this story, how to take four or five verses of this story and make it shorter, and I just thought, you know what, Uh, I believe in our people and I believe in us as the people of God that we can sit down and we can listen to 40 verses of scripture to start off a sermon to capture a whole story, right? (laughs) All right, Um, then let's dive in. John chapter 11, verses 4 through 44, this is the story of Lazarus being rose from the dead. It says, but when Jesus heard about, he, about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Verse 9, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Verse 11, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him him up. Verse 12. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see. Verse 16. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. (laughs) Awesome, right? He's in a time of persecution. They're like, hey, the people in Judea wanted to kill you last week, and you're heading back there. And Jesus is like, man, one of these days I'm going to teach you how to believe. Let's go. And they all said, let's go die with Jesus, (laughs) right? Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here. My brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise 
again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Verse 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, doesn't this sound familiar? Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35. Shortest verse in scripture. You'll win that in Bible trivia one day. Jesus wept. Verse 36. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, again, how familiar does this sound? This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? You get the overall theme of the people, of their mindset? Where was God when we needed him? Where was God when he needed him? Man, if you would have been here, if you would have just showed up, if you would have been on time, where, where have you been? It's from Martha to Mary to the people. They're like, didn't this guy heal a blind man? Where on earth is he now? Why didn't he show up on time now? Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Verse 40, Jesus responded. Man, this is a key verse. Did I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Martha, what did I tell you? Remember that. We'll come back to that. Verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Another funny moment from Jesus. Jesus is like, God, thanks for doing it. I knew you would and I knew you hear me, but I got so many people out here that don't know how to listen to you that I just thought I would say it loud enough for them to hear. It's like when I pray for my son at night. Lord, would you please give this kid a good attitude? Would you please help him be kind to mommy and daddy? Would you help him to do everything that we say, every moment we say it, so that he will be happy and be blessed and one day have a Nintendo Switch? And then I say, son, do you agree with that prayer? Oh, yeah, praise Lord, hallelujah, yes, Jesus, right? Jesus says, I just said it loud enough so that they will hear so that they will believe. Verse 30, 43, we're almost there. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, 
come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. You did it. Put your hands together for yourselves. We made it through the story. Let me see uh, planners. Where are my planners at? You got to have a plan. You got. Come on. Let me see you. Let me see you. Planners. Yes, I'm one too. Come on. Let me. Let me see. All right. Great. You. You have to have a plan. You always got a plan. And when your plan gets disrupted, uh, it's it, the world is ending. Right. You're frustrated. You're annoyed. It drives you insane. Okay. Uh, now let's go to the other end. Where am I? Go with the flow, people. Come on. Go with the flow. Go with the flow. Yeah, let me see you. Let me see you. Planners, these are the people that drive us nuts. Planners, these are usually the people we often end up marrying too, right? God has a very unique way of taking a planner and a go with the flow and bringing them together so that you can grow in holiness together, right? (laughs) So you can drive each other insane unto Jesus' name and then become more like Christ and eliminate your selfishness. I I am a planner, um, very, very rigid planner. Anna is an Enneagram 7. You already know where that plans are limitations to Anna. A schedule is not spontaneous, therefore we should not do it, right? For me, I am like, this is exactly what we're going to do. Is that exactly how it's going to be? I'll give you one example. I mean, people in my home fall casualty to my plans all the time. Uh, Valentine's. I think we're finally at a place where we can talk about Valentine's. I think we've, we've healed enough. We've had a marriage season. We spoke at a marriage conference right after, right? Uh, Valentine's evening. Anna, I, I told her where we'd like to go. We kind of agreed on it. She made the reservation. Mistake number one, planners always should make the reservation, right? But I, I had her, she made the reservation, and uh, we were getting ready that evening, and she was running late because she was beautifying herself for me, which I should have been appreciative of, but I was on a plan. I knew what time we had to leave. I knew what time the kids had to be down. I knew what time the reservation was. So when, when Anna's late, I hover. Any, any, ladies, you got one like that? When, when I, I just hover. Like, I, I stand, like, in the, in the bathroom hallway, and I'm like, hey, you, you almost ready? You about good? Hey, you know it's, it's 7.15, right? 7.30 reservation, 22 minutes away. You're, I mean, how you feeling? You almost there? You about ready? Hey, and then, and, then I, and then I invariably, in my flesh, I'm getting a lot better at this. I'm trying to become a better husband. Uh, I'll start to get annoyed, and I'll be like, well, forget it. We might as well not even go. I mean, yeah, all the work is beautiful, but I mean, by the time you're done with it, we're going to miss the reservation. So uh, we can hit McDonald's drive through for Valentine's if we don't get this thing rolling here. And so she comes out, she gets in the car, we speed there, and we get there. And, and as, 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 I'm a planner. As we're walking into the restaurant, 15 minutes late to our reservation, she says, you know, it's a little cold for a patio reservation. I'm like, what? You booked it on the patio? It was like, if you don't remember Valentine's, it was freezing cold and it was drizzling rain. And I'm like, we're on the patio tonight. And she said, no, I'll just tell them we want to move it inside. It doesn't work that way. I'm like, what? You can't walk in on Valentine's evening and say, hey, just move us inside. You know, will you just, 
will you just move it? And she did. And she walked right up to the table. And she, she said to the lady, hey, it's Val. You know, the patio looks really rough. And, and should you have a table inside? And they, they said, no, we really don't have a, a table. And I am, I am so embarrassed. I don't even want to talk to him. I'm like standing there just pacing, so annoyed. Like, what on earth are we doing? I'm frustrated. I'm sweating. I'm upset. I'm just trying to calm down. And, and the lady's like, no, man, we don't have a table available for the night. And Anna's like, well, what about the table over there in the bar? And she was like, oh, yeah, those are usually open seating. But, you know, we just thought for Valentine's Day we wouldn't do it. And, and Anna was like, no, we would, we would love to sit there. And they were like, oh, okay. Asked the bartender. He was good with it. He would wait on us. So they got two chairs. They put them there. They lit a candle. And we walked over there. And it was this beautiful little table. And it had a candle there and it overlooked the patio and it was it was secluded but it was pretty it was just such a wonderful setup and I sat down at the table and I looked up at her and she was sitting there like this and I was like I've got some work to do I really blew this thing up tonight didn't I <laughs> I really screwed up because for me if the plan is broken I can't even focus, right? And by the time we got to our beautiful, wonderful Valentine's dinner, I'm sitting there having to say, I'm sorry I got mad. I'm sorry I was annoyed. I'm sorry for the harsh things I said when you were getting ready. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because my plans create casualties for everybody around me. You want to hear another funny one? I guarantee you my son is so mad right now at me. Is, hey, Anna, is Kanan mad at me this morning? Yeah. He's so mad. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll deal with that one after church. I'm sure the first thing I'm going to hear from him is how mad he is at me, right? Uh, this morning, I leave Sunday morning exact same time, exact same way every Sunday morning. And he rides with me to church, and he loves to ride with me to church. Unfortunately for him, we were two minutes from departure, and he didn't have socks and shoes on. So I walked out. I had my backpack on my shoulder. I was mixing a shake, and I said, listen, I'm leaving in two minutes, socks and shoes, or you're not coming with me. He ran into the bedroom to get socks and shoes. I walked out the front door, got in my truck, and left. I was like, you're going to be on time, or you're not part of my plan? Because I got a plan, and I guarantee you when I see this boy this morning. He's going to be so mad at me because he became a casualty to my plan. I tell you something, if you are a planner, and even if you're not a planner, if we begin to try and plan our faith journey, the casualty of that is going to be us. If we begin to plan, by faith, this is what God's going to do. And by faith, this is where I'm going to end up. And by faith and prayer and fasting in the Holy Spirit, this is what's going to happen. And this and this and this. And we begin to plan out our faith perfectly. You know who we become in the story? We become Martha. We become Mary. We become the crowd of men standing out there saying, where was he? If he would have only shown up. If he would have only been here when I expected him to be here, as I planned for him to be, then I wouldn't be in this situation. Where is God when things don't go according to plan? There are three graves 
that Jesus empties in this story. How do we approach God? How do we live in faith? How do we carry out our spirituality when all of the sudden everything we thought we had planned spiritually is not happening? It's not playing out and none of it makes sense. Three graves. Grave number one, the grave of glory. The grave of glory, and and I'm going to walk you through just bits and pieces of this story. It's one of my favorite pieces of the story of Lazarus. It's the grave of glory. When you're trapped inside the grave of glory, it means you expect God to do what you want Him to do, and if He doesn't, you doubt Him. You question Him. You're frustrated with Him. You're annoyed with Him. Because you're not following Jesus, Jesus is following you. And when Jesus is following you, he goes where you want him to go. He does what you want him to do. And he he works the way you want him to work. And when he doesn't, we're frustrated. It's the grave of glory. John 11, verse 4. Track with me. This is one of my favorite parts of this story. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Here's the whole heart of this story of Lazarus from God's perspective. No, it happened For the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive his glory. What does the whole story about Lazarus have to do with us and our faith? It happened for the glory of God, and so that Jesus would receive glory. It happened for the glory of God, so that Jesus would receive glory. Okay, now jump down. Here's the meat of it. John 11, 23 through 24. Jesus is talking now to Martha, who's mourning, who's upset at the loss. She's questioning Jesus' attendance at the event and why he didn't show up, and it all went awry. And it says, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Verse 25, Jesus told her, listen to this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she said. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God who came into the world from God. Okay, Martha. Do you believe this? Martha, you're supposed to believe. What is Martha supposed to believe? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And anyone who dies, though they die, they will live again. All right, here's the setup. John 11, 38 through 40. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Listen to Martha. Martha. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. What does Jesus say to her? Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? He's calling upon his previous conversation with her and he's saying to her, Martha, do you remember what I told you? 
Do you remember what I said to you? I told you that I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who dies, though they die, they will live again with me forever. And in a moment of doubt and in a moment of questioning, Martha brings up, don't open the grave. And he says, do you want to see glory? Remember what I told you. This is so important to understand. Jesus' message to Martha was not, I can raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus' message to Martha was not, I'll raise Lazarus from the dead. His message to believe so that she would experience glory was that he was the resurrection and the life. And anyone who dies, though they die, they will live again. In other words, he met her in her moment and then he called her to a higher belief of God. He met her right in the moment of her healing, but he called her to a higher belief. And he's done this in other places. John 6, verse 40 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Let me challenge your thinking for a moment. We have to be able to differentiate between resuscitation and resurrection. Resuscitation is, is traditionally what has happened throughout Scripture. We call them resurrection, and yes, Lazarus did step out of his grave, and yes, Lazarus rose from the dead, and, and many of the other stories in Scripture, but that was a resuscitation. That was not resurrection, because Lazarus dies again. Lazarus dies again, and when Lazarus dies the second time, what do you think is the most important truth that Martha knows, that Mary knows, that the crowd knows, and that Lazarus knows? That though you die, you will live again. That though you die, you will live again. Again, God's greatest glory is not in resuscitating someone to live again. His greatest glory is resurrection unto eternal life. Why is this important? Because far too many people either find hope and faith in God or lose hope and faith in God based on one thing that they need Him to do. God, my child is sick. Heal my child. And my entire faith is going to rest on your ability to heal my child. God, the diagnosis is cancer. And my entire faith is going to rest on your ability to heal this cancer. God, my brother is dead. He's in a tomb. It's been four days. And my only hope in you is going to rest on whether or not you raise him. And Jesus says, do you want to see glory? I'll take you to glory. Whether or not he raises from the dead. Whether or not I resuscitate him and he dies again. You know where he's going to be? He's going to be with me in eternal life forever. Though he dies, he will live again. That is the hope that we carry. Listen, it is so much it is a dangerous trap to trust the healing more than the healer. Because when we start to trust the healing, we become a Martha. God, do it. God, where were you? God, why has it happened? God, don't do it now. It's going to stink. And he is saying, I'm 
bigger than this one moment where you need me to show up. To confuse God's glory with resuscitation versus resurrection is to not understand resurrection at all. We don't get it. We do not understand it. If we rest all of Jesus' power on whether or not he can raise Lazarus from the dead, we have minimized him to a healer in the moment. And he's saying to Martha, I am so much bigger than this. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe that my glory transcends this? Do you believe that I'm more powerful than this? Do you believe that despite what you desire in your earthly life, that I have something so much greater and more powerful for you? Because I am the resurrection and the life. My son, I, I was telling you about him. He is, uh, we're in a new phase as a six-year-old. Where are my, my friends at that will corroborate this one? Uh, I, I don't love him when I don't do things that he wants. We there yet? Anybody else? I don't, I don't, you, you don't love me. Well, you, don't, you just don't love your son. Well, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Literally the other day, for like five minutes, I, I, was, I was trying to make them dinner. I was trying to make my kids dinner. And I said to Canaan, hey, would you go play with your brother for five minutes? And he said, yeah, but I mean, Dad, would you give me a dollar to go play with my brother? <laughs> what? I, lo I looked at him and I said, no. What are you talking about? Well, I give you a dollar. He's your brother. Play with your brother. And he said, well, I guess you don't love your son because you make him work and we'll give him a dollar. <laughs> what in the YouTube have you been watching? I, I, literally, I guess you don't love your son because you won't give him a dollar to do work for you. I, I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm making you dinner. I asked him. I said, who bought your clothes? Mommy. <laughs> well, who empowered mommy to buy them clothes? You're looking at him, friend. Whose house are you in? Mommy's. Mommy and daddy's house. Whose bed do you sleep in? My bed. Who bought it? Who takes you to school? In whose car? And who pays for the gas to go in that car? Who bought you all your toys? And he's just, he's just sitting there at this point. He's like, he's got no response to me. And I, I'm just, I'm screaming at him. You're going to minimize my glory as a dad to a five-minute grease my pockets so I'll watch my little brother? Like, are you serious right now? That's what, I, that's what my love means to you? And I just wonder if God gets in these places with us. To like you're going to minimize all of my power and my vastness and my glory and my resurrection and my life after death and eternity for you to whether or not I answer your prayer right here. And you're going to hold me accountable to that. That's what he's saying is my glory is so much bigger. I am so much greater than what you face. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The grave of glory is getting stuck in a place where God needs to do what I want him to do. The freedom for that is realizing that God is so much greater and more powerful than anything I face however he decides to move, and however he decides to work in it. Okay, grave number two, the grave of delay. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is my new favorite grave. 
I really like the last one, but now I remember this one, and this one's really, really good. John eleven four through 6 says, But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so, the, so it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Verse 5, catch this. So although Jesus loved Martha, here he quantifies that, in spite of, could be another translation, in spite of his love for them, in spite of his love for Martha, in spite of his love for Mary, in spite of his love for Lazarus, verse 6, he stayed where he was for the next two days. I want you to think about this for a moment. That in all of his love for them and in all of the heartache and mourning that they were going through, what was the first thing that he did for them? In all of their heartache, in all of their mourning, in all of their hurting, what was the first thing that he did? He says it. So although he loved Martha, he loved Mary, and he loved Lazarus, he waited two days. His first move for them was delay. His first move for them was to wait. There are two other stories in the book of John where Jesus is asked directly to do something, and his immediate response is the exact same thing. John chapter 2, wedding of Cana in Galilee. They run out of wine. They come to Jesus. They say, we're out of wine. And Jesus responds, dear woman, that's not my problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. I know you need a miracle. Wait a little bit. I know Lazarus is dead. We'll see you in a couple days. How about this one? John chapter 7, 1 through 6. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. We heard about that, right? You're going to go back to Judea? They want to kill you. This is when it was happening. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. His brothers are mocking him. They're like, man, if you're so great, show up where they don't like you and do some miracles. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Verse 6, Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. Sounds like they need some miracles. Let's wait for a moment. Sounds like Lazarus has died and Martha and Mary are mourning. See you in a few days. Let's follow this, this pattern throughout Scripture, right? Let's start with the children of Israel. The children of Israel are in slavery. They're calling out to God to rescue them from slavery in Egypt so that they can worship the Lord. And what happens? They come out of slavery and into the wilderness. Not the promised land. They didn't walk directly into the promise. They spent 40 years wandering. David is anointed king, and immediately after anointing king, where does he find himself? Not in the palace, not on the king's throne, not calling the shots. He finds himself in the wilderness, running for his life. What do we celebrate next Sunday? 
What do we celebrate? We don't celebrate a God who immediately stood up against his arrest, overthrew the Roman government, established his own leadership and authority, and took control of the Roman Empire. We don't serve a God or we don't celebrate a God who, when the stone was being rolled across, stopped the soldiers, stepped out, and said, Here I am. It didn't work. No, we serve a God whose son was in the grave while his people had to celebrate the instituted Sabbath on Saturday where they are called to, in spite of their only hope, presumably being in the grave, to rest and trust in God. Why? Because the most important thing they needed in the moment was not a response. It was not a victory, but delay. What if, man, y'all got quiet on me. What if delay isn't the curse of God, but it's the crucible of God? What if delay is the place where the deepest work happens? What if delay is where the most profound work happens in you? What if without the delay you wouldn't be ready for the work that God wants to do in you? So the time of delay when you are waiting on it and you feel the delay and you sense the delay and you understand that there's a delay, maybe that's the time where he is crafting the vessel or he is refining the silver or he is doing in you what has to happen so that you can carry out what he wants to do in your future. Maybe the delay is important. If we miss the delay, we'll miss the development. We'll miss what God's trying. And this is so hard for us because we live in a society that is so wired for immediacy. It's absolutely insane. My phone rings now and I have seven things ringing around me. My iPad's ringing, my computer's ringing, this watch is ringing, my phone's ringing. I don't know which one to pick up. I'm like, <laughs> like what, do I, what do I answer? We literally live in a world where in, on Amazon, if you buy something and it doesn't arrive on time, that you can return it and your return reasoning can be didn't arrive on time. Isn't that crazy? Like you ordered it. You had him ship it to you. I'm so mad right now because I have an iPad case that was supposed to be here on Friday, but it's arriving on Monday, and I'm just, oh, I'm going to send it back, or I'm going to tell him to give me a discount. Why? Because immediacy is what we long for. I was standing in line at the pharmacy the other day to get medicine. There's two guys in front of me, and one guy behind me complained for 10 minutes straight about how long it's taking. Oh, my, oh my gosh, can they just, this is taking forever. I'm not going to get anything. And we, we live in this world that is driven by immediacy, but we serve a God that meets us in the delay. We serve a God that is just waiting for us to acknowledge him in this time. Can I tell you something? If all we expect of God is immediate victory, we will live very disappointed. I'll say it a different way. If, if, if the only God that we're familiar with is the God up here, the God who does exactly what I pray for, heals exactly when I ask him to, moves exactly how I want him to, shows up exactly when he's supposed to, if all we become accustomed to is the God of the mountaintops, we will walk alone in the valleys. 
if all we understand is this God up here. I love that we write worship songs about that. We write worship songs about the valley. And in the valley, we will praise. Why? Because if we're only accustomed with the God of the mountaintops, we'll walk alone here in the valleys. And the delay will drive us crazy. Even worse, the delay will drive us to doubt. But what does God do? He meets us in the center of the delay. And that is the place where he begins to form a deep work within us. Just remind yourself, if you're in the grave of delay, it's not silence, it's sanctification. If you're in the grave of delay right now, God's not silent to you. God's doing a deeper work in you. God's got something he's still refining in you. He's still moving in you. The greatest work that happened in the children of Israel and the one they recount to over and over and over, the one that they tell generations after them and after them and after them, you know what it is? It's their time in the wilderness. Do you remember your rebellious forefathers? Do you remember the actions of your forefathers? Do you remember how they acted in the delay? If they would have been faithful in the delay, they would have made it to where God wanted quicker. It's the grave of delay. The third grave, this is an obvious one, we'll wrap up here, is the grave of what could have been. The grave of what could have been. We heard it three different times. We heard it from Martha, we heard it from Mary, and we heard it from the people that were gathered around Jesus. Hey, if you'd have been here, you know, like, you wouldn't be dead right now. Hey, if you would have just showed up when we expected you to, this wouldn't be the situation. The other people, they're like, hey, isn't this the guy that healed a blind guy? Couldn't he have shown up on time and healed Lazarus? It's the grave of what could have been. You could have done this, yet Martha is the one, and I love Martha's response. Find this. This is not ironic. This is is a truth from Scripture. The only one that saw God's glory was who? Martha, who was the one that saw God's glory, said, do you believe you will see God's glory if you believe? He was the only one who told her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. You, if you live in me, though you die, you will live forever. He gave her the key to the glory, and then he said, do you want to see the glory of God? Martha, remember what I told you. The only one to experience the glory of God was Martha out of all three of the people, and the only one to respond like this is Martha. Listen to this. John eleven twenty one 21 through 22. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22. Make this your life anthem in the delay. Make this your life anthem in the valley. Make this your life anthem anthem when you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go or the prayers that you've been praying haven't been answered yet this is your life anthem but she says but even now oh can we champion that but even now you know what your faith needs a but even now what does she say my brother's dead if you would have been here we would have been great but even now even in a scenario that I don't understand, even at a time where I can't figure it out, I know 
that God will give you whatever you ask. Another favorite moment of mine in Scripture, same thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 20. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Verse 18, but what do they say? But even if he doesn't. What a declaration. That's not somebody stuck in the delay. That's not somebody stuck in the glory. That is somebody who understands God will move and God can move, but even if he doesn't, it's not messing my trust up in him. I'm still following him. And he said, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Our faith needs a but even now. When you are praying for healing and feeling worse, but even now, I know God can move. When you feel like the marriage is getting better and you're starting to get along and then one little fight explodes and blows up everything and you're back to where you started and you're thinking, we haven't made any progress this past month at all, but even now, I'm going to keep pushing. When you have the interview and you don't get the call and you don't know what the future holds, but even now we will move forward. I'll never forget. This is weird coming out of my mouth. You'll hear it, and then I'll tell you why. My favorite funeral I ever did was for the, a nine-year-old boy. Favorite funeral I've ever done. Man, you talk about a but even now moment. Um, he had died suddenly. I remember when he had passed away, the family reached out to me because I knew the father and I knew the son, and they asked me to be a part of the funeral, and I was just sick to my stomach. I mean, I was just, oh, it was so tough. And so I showed up, and I met with the family, and I'm meeting with the dad, and he said, I, I, I want to say something at the beginning. And I told him, I said, you know, I, I'm going to honor whatever you want to do. I just want to caution you, that is, that is really difficult in the moment. Maybe write it down. I can read it for you. I just, I don't want you to get caught in the crosshairs of getting choked up and, and not knowing what to, and he said, no, 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 uh, I, I, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I said, okay, let's do it. Then I'll be there to support you. However I can help you, I'll do it. And then, and then I'll wrap things up. And he got up there and I'm, I'm talking, when I say funeral of a nine-year-old boy, you, you, you get the sickness in your stomach. It was just gutty. And I was standing up there ready for everything to start. Whole crowd was there. There was sniffles. There was cries. There was people who were hurting, people who were upset. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. That dad stood up there. He took the microphone and he looked at an entire crowd with his nine-year-old son in a grave behind, in a casket behind him. And he said, why are you sad? He said, why are you upset? He said, I get it. It hurts right now. He said, but if my little boy is dancing on gold streets right now, you better not be crying. A butt even now moment. Can you imagine the faith it took to do that? Can you imagine the understand, the revelation of God? 
that, yes, I'm going to see my son one day grow up and be a strong, vibrant young man, and I'm going to cheer him on and be his best man at his wedding, and I'm going to have grandkids, and they're going to come over, and they're going to remind me of him, and I'm going to take his, his kids fishing along with him, and we're going to spend our entire life father, son, best friends, and at nine, that, that dream is robbed from him. That dream is taken from him. And yet he stands up and he declares, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Though he died, he will live again. But even now, I will follow God. But even now, I will trust you. That's how we get out of the grave that Lazarus was in.